What was the best picture? The best picture? You were there when they announced it. It came after the best actress. I was in a deep depression at the time. What was the best bloody picture? You mean what was the best picture of the year, or what did those idiots pick as the best picture of the year? What won the award, you asshole? I am not an asshole. Don't you call me that. Sidney, I have just thrown up on some of the best people in Hollywood. Now is no time to be sensitive. What was the best picture? I'm not telling you. I'm not asking you. I'm threatening you, you crud! Now I'm definitely not going to tell you. I'm sorry, I take it back, Sidney. You're not a crud. Oh. Am I still an arsehole? Definitely. Then I'm never going to tell you. It's abominably tonight. Did not. Abominably. Did not. Arsehole crud. I am going to bed. We have a 10 a.m. plane to catch in the morning. 10 a.m. is the morning. That is redundant. U-A-H. Oh, do you think I don't know what you're saying? I can't spell, you know. Not without moving your lips, you can't. I would like another drink, please. You drank everything in this state. Trying to bother. Hello and welcome to Stuff We've Seen. This is Jim. Been away for a few weeks and uh, Teal, he's uh, not available. He's on assignment. He's working on Kanye West campaign and I don't know about you, but I think that cat can go all the way. So Teal could be gone for a while. I'm not sure. Um, or, or he could be back next week. We don't know. Um, but, you know, in his place, we have for the first time ever an, a guest co-host. And now here he is, the person who's just one phone text away from ruining the climax of your movie, Bill from Queens. <laughs> Billy's here. Hello. <laughs> Yes, yes. Uh, long time, long time uh, listener, and I'm I'm glad to be back on the show after uh, sorting through all my technical problems. Yeah, yeah we, right. Because I, I think if if you're an avid listener of the show, as as I know you are out there, yes. um, you would have known that we tried to have Bill from Queens on uh, several episodes ago, and he uh, had some crazy technical issues with his. Uh, phone yeah, or no. whatever is recording I, I, I was i was uh you know coming from a, a cave or somewhere i was uh, trying to get a hold and, and by the way those same technical issues happened as we tried to start this recording but i talked <laughs> this leadite through the technical difficulties and we got him up and running and he sounds pretty good well, thank you, thank you. <laughs> uh, all right, so hey, hey, so for those who don't know, I mean, we could, we call you Bill from Queens now, uh, and again, I don't, I can't uh, say that everybody who listens to the show has heard every single episode and knows the entire history. But uh, so I'm going to kind of reintroduce you. Uh, your your real name is Bill Muir, and, and I'm James Kent. By the way, I don't think I, I really am, you know mention my name on the show, but today, hey, I'm feeling I'm feeling groovy. Uh, but uh, we were roommates uh, for like half a semester, I guess. My uh, yes. final year at NYU, we were uh, both film students. Uh, so, Bill, you were also a, a film student, but you're, uh, you're a year behind me. You're, you're younger. Correct. 
Correct. And we first met, and this is very kind of interesting, is uh, we met my sophomore year, which is when I transferred to NYU. You were a little freshman. That's right. Um, and how I met you was through uh, the now missing in action Teal. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, Teal Correct. introduced I, I was. That's right. I was in um, a narrative class where it was kind of a the intro kind of photography class that you did. I forget what it was called, but it was on the eighth floor, the photography floor, right? Which is where floor. I worked. Yes. Right. And it was in, right. yeah, like, so a film students, when, if you got into the film school for your freshman year, which you did, there were certain mm -hmm. prerequisites you had to take. And they thought, well, you know, you should be introduced on how to even like, you know, take a picture. Right. So they <laughs> do an intro for photography class and uh, you and Teal were both in that class. Right. And that's coincidentally how I kind of became friends with Teal in the first place, because I was introduced to him by a guy he went to his private high school with, this uh, school Putney. Right. Uh, this guy Gideon. Right. And I was hanging out with him for about like, like the first month that I got there. And we would show up at Teal's dorm a few times, uh, which I think he was living in the same dorm as you. Were you living in Weinstein the first year? I did. I did. All right. So you guys were in the same dorm room. Probably didn't even know that. Well, because he, he cleared out. He cleared out pretty quickly. He, he did. He got an apartment uptown. He did. He did. He, he bounced around a couple of places pretty much straight away, which was part of the thing that made Teal so amazingly cool. Yeah, because he knew people that knew people. And he was like, you know, I think he, I, I want to say he, he was subletting an apartment up on Riverside Drive uh, that used to belong oh, to Terry Southern. Right? That's right. That's right. That's right. And there was that one evening where we all went up there. Oh, one evening. <laughs> there was many. Well, but there's, but there's one evening that I remember in particular. And it was, uh, and I just remember, you know, we were making all kinds of Death Wish references because we were right on Riverside Park. Oh, well, you were probably <laughs> making those references because, yeah, that's right. It, it's funny, as your kids, you're thinking everything in New York that wasn't in Greenwich Village was scary. <laughs> <laughs> right? You know, when you first get there. And, and it's funny, every single year that I arrived on campus, and you know, this is the late 80s, early 90s, it was a little hairier. The crack ep epidemic. Yeah, I was a little hairier in New York City than it is probably there, there was There was the, uh, the, for a while there at that time, every May day, every May 1st, there was a riot down St. Mark's coming from Tompkins Square Park. Because remember, there had been that riot that was, yeah, the riot happened right before I got there. It was like the summer of 89, right? Before I even arrived. Correct. Yep. Yeah, I mean, so what happened, I remember like the first couple of weeks I'd get on campus, every single year, you had to make an adjustment and it felt, the atmosphere felt a little scary in certain parts that you'd walk through. And then- I don't know what, when it would magically change, but maybe like a month later, you'd walk through those exact same places. It would, there would nothing had changed, but you didn't feel like, you know, threatened or anything. I mean, no, no. And, and the thing is that, um, you know, you go to that neighborhood now, you know, you go to around Tompkins Square Park and one bedrooms are like $2 million yeah, around I know, there. I know. And, and like, you know, there's a boutique coffee and uh, muffin shop every like third door. It's, uh, it's crazy. It was sort of like uh, that that line of dialogue in Goodfellas when Ray Liotta says to his wife, he goes, Carrie, you know why he went to the prison? Because he wanted to get away from his wife. It's like, you know, it, people got mugged because they want to get mugged. Because if you just kept your guard up, you wouldn't get mugged because it was pretty, I think, pretty 
hard to get mugged in New York City. But if you're a total it, idiot, it could, you could, could be really you could, easy. Look, it, it could happen. And and there were, you know, obviously we knew a couple of people who did get mugged and that stuff happened to them. But I, I'll never forget, just, you know, kind of talking about New York of, uh, New York of uh, yesterday. I remember, didn't you get your stuff stolen stuff was broken and robbed no no no, no but were, no it was or as a friend of yours and they had to go to second avenue looking for their stuff I, was that was that with you not me man how then okay that was somebody else. okay but that, so <laughs> do, do you remember like on second avenue between like kind of 10th street and st mark's there was like a thieves market where basically what would happen was that um this guy knew got some photography equipment stolen <laughs> and he went to the precinct uh, the ninth precinct down there they were, and, they and just they, laugh at him and well they said they got they were just like well you know whatever you want to fill out a report and he says but what i'd recommend is at 10 o'clock you know, uh, on like go, go to buy, Second buy, Avenue buy stuff back. and you can find your stuff back. Did he? I think he did. I, yeah, I did know a girl that got got uh, her camera stolen in Central Park. Guy just walked up to her and so basically said, "You're giving me that camera," and she was like, "Yep, I'm giving you that camera." <laughs> and I think I know somebody. Oh. Oh, no. I remember what happened with you. With me? No, you're talking about the wallet. You're talking about your wallet. And you know why the cop like was holding on to it, not at the precinct. Out on the avenue. No, 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 no. So you got it wrong. Okay. I'm going to school you. Okay. Okay. School me because I'm going to, all right. This is actually a whole thing about how memory works. So by the way, this is like, you, you so school me. Now this is, by the way, this is exactly um, how our show runs, right? Even if I have a guest, it's the same thing. We don't get to whatever we're supposed to talk about for 20 minutes because we get off track. So, okay. You invited me. I feel like I told this story on the show at one point to Teal, but I'm going to tell it again. Uh, or maybe I told it to my wife. Anyways, you and I got into a cab with two girls. Right. There's both I one I knew from film school, one of you. It was uh, Joanna. Yeah. And her roommate Sharon, who I knew from film school. And we right. went to see this movie, City of Hope, John Sales movie. Right. Okay. We get into the cab and I was wearing some goofy pants. I don't know. They had big pockets. <laughs> and I used to keep my wallet in the front of the pocket because smart. I, because it was easier not to get it stolen. However, it slipped right out onto the cab seats. And as soon as we shut it, we were right in front of the movie theater. I put my hand in my pocket to get my money out and I knew. And there goes the cab. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, nah. and then it would really bum me out, right? Because then I had to quickly go in and I had to cancel like my, because my mom gave me a credit card for emergencies. I had to cancel her credit card and all this stuff because I was like, oh, I don't want to, you know, I knew that's what you're supposed to do. So the whole right. movie, I, I kind of really couldn't enjoy it because I was You were sitting and stewing. Yeah, you know how that is. So yes. I get home. That night, all bummed out, you know, and I only had like $20 in my pocket because back then, like, like you took out just what you needed to get you through the movie and whatever. Right, right. Um, so it wasn't like I lost a lot of money. And then, the, you know, I canceled the crowd right away. I get home, there's a message on my machine. And the message was from a police precinct and they had my wallet. And I was, I was, I was dumbfounded as to like, couldn't believe that they had my wallet and how could they have even contacted me here? Mm -hmm. So- 
And so I asked him that. And so what I found out is I had run into a girl at the beginning of the school year. And this was pretty early on in the school year anyway. But I ran into her in a bookstore. And I hadn't seen her since the the previous year. And I had been on a couple of dates with her. Nothing, you know, nothing too dramatic. And right. so I took her number. And we, were, we did get together for coffee. And I remembered like, oh, I know why we didn't date. It just didn't work out. All right. But I had her number in my wallet. And they found that and saw that it was a local number. So they called her. And she actually had my number. She gave it to them. And so that's how they called me. So you and I go uptown to where we can pick up the wallet. And it was so, a precinct on the west side of Manhattan. Yeah, yeah. so it was Kitchen. like in Hell's Kitchen. Yes. So we go yes. there, we get it, and lo and behold, everything in the wallet is there, including the $20. I'm shocked, yes. right? This is New York. We're never, these things aren't supposed to happen. So wait, wait, <laughs> go wait, ahead, wait come ahead, on. I'm going to tell you. I'll, I'll let you finish it off because I think you'll yeah. understand this part better. But mm -hmm. so we asked, well, how did they get the wallet? And a foreign uh, visitor to the to, got in the cab right afterwards, found the wallet, gave it to the cab driver, and shockingly, the cab driver then gave it to a uh, a policeman on the beat, right wherever right. he was. I, I just can't believe that my wallet made it through all these hands and still had the twenty dollars in it and the credit card, which of course was now canceled. So we said, "Oh well, we'd like to thank the officer." And the guy said, "Oh well, he's on the beat, but he's over at blah blah blah. You can go and thank him." So you and I head out to go find this officer. And now I know what you're going to remember. Oh, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll never forget that. because yes. it, And it, I never yes. forget it either. <laughs> yes. So you now you can tell that part as we're walking on. Mind you, what you're about to say is not the officer in question. He was on a different block. But before we could get to him, we got to a different officer across so, the street. So we were, we were at 9th. I think it was at 9th Avenue is where we came to. And it, we were right near the theater district. We were right on the periphery of it. And we're walking up to this officer. All of a sudden, as we're walking up and we're talking to him, he kind of comes like running slightly sort of beyond us and says, I told you to get the hell out of here! And like swings and punches the guy. And it's some, you know, addict, homeless guy. And this guy just punches him right there and sends him away. And obviously what this guy's job was, was to basically act as like a guard for the theater district to keep junkies and kind of homeless people on the other side of Ninth Avenue. Right? Yes. It felt, <laughs> it felt a lot like the deuce, um, the HBO show. And it's funny because when I watch the deuce and I know a lot of people don't talk about the deuce, but I, I thought it was a really good show. And I think of that moment every time. Cause I'm like, you know, this is what the policing really was like. Yeah. And, and you and I were just standing there. We just, there was nothing for us to say. Yeah. Except that we didn't like want to say anything. We wanted to make sure that we weren't part of like, we didn't, I think what we were worried about was the guy was going to be like coming over to us. Like you didn't see anything, but thankfully we just, <laughs> we just were like moving along and we were happy no, that just, it wasn't he, our he just took it for granted. He just took it for granted. And that's right. And he was just like, he's down there. Now, Jimmy, I have a different memory of this. And this is the thing that's a little bit different for me. So that is the story. I'm going to just tell you right that's now. The story. And we went that's to the, the and we did go and think, but I think we were like, it was a strange thing in that here all this good happened to me with my wallet when I was expecting mm -hmm. the worst out of New York City. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. on the way mm -hmm. to thank the person, we saw the worst <laughs> happen. <laughs> a poor innocent person gets punched in the face. Well, you see, here's the thing is that it, it occurred to me because this is how I remember it. I don't remember you getting your wallet at the precinct. No, we I did. remember. Are you sure? Yeah, because why remember, would the guy have the wallet going? Maybe this guy will show up. It didn't make no. They said we'll have it that's here. That's the thing that I remember is that they said it's not at the precinct. He has it and he's out on. No, I wanted to thank the guy. 
I see. I have a memory of it. Well, you have a like, memory. It's just not that's correct. What I'm All right. Well, that's that's the way okay. I remember it is that the guy and it almost made me feel like the guy was kind of looking for you to give him a tip. That's uh, no, the sort of, do, do you know well, what I mean? I what, because, was going to give him the $20 back? No, that's not how it worked I, that's at all. What, that's what I, 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 look, that's just, that's my memory And the guy was just it. like, well, whatever. Like it, it really was, the end of the story wasn't actually the good, but the best part of that whole story was, <laughs> was that. the guy, was the cop like nail, like wailing on the it guy. It was the only we type were, of like, police brutality I have seen, but it was a reminder to me that this is when no one's looking. This is how some things happen. Anyways, before see, I, I wanted I wanted to turn it into a whole Sidney Lumet thing. With, yeah. Well, know, it felt I felt like right from this whole city of hope with corruption into this. Um, <laughs> but here, that's not what I wanted to start out with. I wanted to because we were we were talking a little bit about you and uh, right. skip forward after you got out of film school because Teal and I and since I know you listen to all the episodes, you must right. have heard this. I couldn't give him a lot of information, but you were at a time you you were an actual filmmaker. You yeah. made at least one movie that I know of, but you may have even made two, correct? Uh, I did. I um, So I hope you could talk about those because I, I know no one can find them anywhere, but I am curious about them. Sure, sure. So uh, I started out, you know, I made uh, this film uh, as an independent film. It was um, set amongst kind of Irish immigrants and queens. And, uh, you know, I took me kind of a while to get it up and going. And uh, it took me a long time to finish. Basically, I shot, I'm going to say, it got shot, say, in like the summer of 96. Uh, and actually, some of the first stuff that was meant to be shot was shot around St. Patrick's Day on in 1994. Uh, yes, I recall and that. You, and, you, and you shot it with, a, with an eclair camera, Super <laughs> 16. Do you remember that? I, yeah, I do remember that, yes. Yeah, so you shot, you shot the footage for that. And it- I can't imagine it looked very good. <laughs> Oh, it did. Oh, it did? It did. It did. <laughs> I, I have I have it on a, a cassette somewhere. A cassette. <laughs> I do. I do. So anyway, so how, you know, but basically it was one of these things that, you know, you get something shot, you get it in the can. And then like, you know, you, you kind of have these ideas that like, well, that's all it takes. I, I, if in, in retrospect, a lot of like getting it in the can is probably the easiest part. Yes. Getting it after post-production of it. Is yes. another thing because then you have to have money. Usually, you can get the money scraped together to shoot the damn thing, but then to be able to edit it and maybe get somebody to <laughs> the back sound, it. Oh. <laughs> you know, forget about it. like the sound, doing the prints, all of that stuff. And basically, what happened was, you know, I was constantly kind of, you know, struggling trying to kind of get like equipment from people and stuff. And you know, I was very lucky that uh, I came uh, to know this guy who eventually became a working partner, uh, a guy named uh, Brian. And uh, he- um, A guy named Brian. <laughs> yes. No last well, name. Well, you know, whatever. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what, you know, in terms of outcome, you know. But he, um, the thing is, he was still at NYU. Oh, okay. Uh, and he was from Dublin. And what I was able to do, and this is where, you know, I, I really got my tuition worth at NYU was that we were able to kind of go back and recut and use a lot of NYU's facilities oh, after hours. Okay. Oh, like on the sly? <laughs> yes, on the sly. And uh, Well, but you know, you know what? But, but, but in truth, if NYU isn't going to do that for its graduates- then f yeah. them. You know what I mean? Like I, I think every like you know they don't really give you a lot of. Uh, they'll take your check. <laughs> yes, but once you oh, get well, out, and, and NYU will always take your money. Yeah, but they weren't really great at I think nurturing their uh, graduates. 
I, you know, all I can say is that it really worked out for me, (laughs) but, but it was done very much on the sly and with like basically another guy who worked in, um, on, uh, I think it was on the 10th floor. Okay. uh, Who worked there and they were so insanely like good. Uh, to me, you know, this one guy who worked there in particular that, I mean, he basically just, um, you know, like we had so much footage in it that we like crashed the Avid, like, I don't know how many times. Oh, they had Avids then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, they had, they had gotten rid of like the flatbeds at that point and they were, because basically that was the thing back then to get an Avid was like, you know, I think $2,000 oh, a oh, week. Oh, yeah, or something. yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I mean, it was just, it was huge. And this was over like, you know, basically I was using NYU stuff for months kind of getting the stuff finished and um, where we got money to finish it up was because basically we were able to get money from both RTE. They bought um, the, the national broadcaster in Ireland. They bought broadcast rights for it. And uh, the Irish film board gave us money to finish up. And also. So at that point, did you bring in like a professional editor and team to like clean it up or no? Uh, well, I mean, sound editor, we basically made a bunch of deals with people where, you know, if the film like theatrical release, you know, right. they would get a piece and, and you know, you can see how much that was so, worth. So it showed in Ireland, you're saying? It did. It did. It showed uh, twice in Ireland. It was broadcast. And I think it was, I forget how many people saw it, but it was like, uh, you know, at least uh uh, 30,000 people or something. Now, did you take it. it like to any like American festivals at all or? No, no, no. We, there were a couple of places that, that we looked at, but ultimately in some ways we just, you know, we, we had it play in Ireland in a number of places and, you know, we had really just kind of one thirty-five millimeter print and that, uh, because that like to do that, like, um, Oh, I can only imagine how much that costs. Well, the thing is we got a really good deal with not Bob Young, but, um, the other young at Duart, we got to know okay. him pretty well. And he, um, he really helped us out and honestly was just like absolutely amazing in terms of, because we had a mixture. Then at the end, we did some reshooting with like with 16 millimeter, cause that's all we could do. And for them to go then like from super 16 to 16 and the blow up process was like, in a, a, you know, an incredible, really, really difficult. And we were almost embarrassed like to kind of say, oh, there's like another reel with some more 16 millimeter. And <laughs> Well, and this was the days where st- everything was still on film, so they still had seen it all and did it all. Yes, and and that was and that was the thing is that um, really it kind of came down to this guy Brian, who was just with with all of his kind of Irish charm, was able to like you know, um, you know, kind of get him on board and stuff, and he you know handle all the stuff, and he was absolutely brilliant, you know, because I was you know uh, I was working full time at the time, and you know Brian was kind of like really just out of school and making this happen. So you, but you don't you don't even have it on DVD. I think I think there's a digital copy of it somewhere. Yeah, you don't feel you don't feel very proud of the movie, or you don't think it really no, was successful no, or something. Well, I mean, it's just it was it was a very long and difficult process in some ways, and you know it's it's just something that uh, there are parts of it that I'm, I'm very proud of and stuff, but. You you know, it's it's just kind of one of those things that it's um it's a, a period in your life that you kind of go through making it and stuff, and it just you know. It sounds like it took a lot out of you. It did, it did, it did, and you know, it had a lot of kind of budgetary and also just even my own technical uh, limitations. So the thing is, immediately after that, I worked on another film called Kulak Land, which was done again for RTE and on board Scanon, the Irish Film Board. And I produced that. And so you didn't direct that? No, 
No, I pretty Brian Brian directed that, and it was written by um, uh, Ronan Carr, who also was in uh, Right uh, Exiled as well. And, and then after that, I mean, the thing that I, I really kind of that that was great was that um, the Irish Film Board was really terrific in terms of they basically had a lot of free money for production stuff at that time for script writing for developing projects. So so basically, you know, I kind of spent a couple of years doing that. But, you know, it's very hard uh, to kind of balance, you know, between that and New York and Ireland. Yes. And that and, you know, if, you, if you're getting like a certain amount of money to to write a script, well, you know, the amount that you're getting, you know, like let's say they're giving it out in, you know, 5,000 euro increments, <laughs> you know, that's <laughs> – that's uh it's not enough to you know keep the kid in uh, diapers and stuff yeah i mean so, you know yeah. so but I, I guess i i'm still proud of you because it's sort of like a bucket list thing i mean you, you whether you didn't necessarily like the experience but you can always say that you made a movie i can only kind of chalk it up to just kind of youthful stupidity and just the <laughs> fact that like because quite frankly you know it's um when you're young and you really don't have a lot to lose you kind of, you know, you you really kind of make a push on these things, you know, and, you know, that's the thing. I had, you know, an opportunity a little bit later, you know, when I was doing this development stuff, I had another job and it was the idea that, you know, okay, we might be able to do this. You know, I was spending a lot of time. That was one of the things that was like really great about that time was I was spending a lot of time in Europe, you know, getting to kind of travel and kind of do places, you know, kind of get to see places and kind of work and, um, there was a, a film that we were developing and it was looking like, you know, we were going to do it. The budget was going to be, about the time, like a million euro or so. And it was either go with this or like kind of like, you know, what they were calling like these kind of micro budget schemes at the time <laughs> and or try and push for more money. Really kind of when I look back on it, it was one of these things that was a real gut check because it was the idea that like, I, I have a job now. Am I going to spend a year and a half kind of working on this and, you know, of that million euro, my amount is going to be a tiny sliver, you know, in terms of like trying to support yourself for, you know, and it, so it was a very, very kind of tough call. The idea that like, you know, you're working on something a year and a half, which really means that you're out of work for like two years, kind of, you know, it's uh, very tough. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is, you know, this business, you either have to just luck out or you have to have some big pockets back in you somewhere. Because it is like it's a gamble, especially in that early stage. I mean, if you hit big, then, you know, you have a career and you'll get paid. But in the independent world, you know, and I, I, that's why I wanted to talk about this, because I think that there are people that will listen to the show and they're big movie fans. And it's fascinating to understand kind of what does it take to try to get into the industry? You know, what is the road, especially if it's like the independent way, it's kind of it's really is that gamble where you get the ability to maybe make something, but you mm -hmm. still have to try to find a way to support yourself while you're making it because no one's going to pay you. I, but I mean, but that's the thing that was amazing at the time in terms of there was a lot of money coming out of the EU. There was a lot of money, you know, that you could find kind of government money in, in Ireland and England, stuff that like you really, it's not as easily found over here because they really tried to kind of 
you know, nurture young artists and try to kind of build, uh, you know, a, um, a film industry. And, and then really kind of after around kind of 2005, 2006, all of that money really started drying up in Europe. Yeah. What was very funny was that um, we, we were doing, working on something in the Balkans and we'd get these like calls from shady guys because films were basically tax shelters. Right. <laughs> and you know, you'd get some call from some guy saying like, yes, we would like to invest money in film. <laughs> well, it was like that uh, in the soup movie that we did. Exactly. That's what the it's story like was the about, soup. but yes. it was just, yeah, yeah. unfortunately, that was just not well executed. <laughs> but then, you know, but now, I mean, you're, 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 you're uh, a school teacher. Mm-hmm. And I remember uh, like several weeks ago when we wanted to have you on, uh, kind of just wanted to, you know, for people don't, you know, know or maybe lucky enough, like myself, to be in an area where the pandemic hasn't really hit. Uh, you, you, you live in Queens, New York, and so I you do. experienced firsthand uh, what an awful time it was in what March and April, right? Yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, it's it's very funny when I I've um, talked to people who kind of you know I just we. we at this point, like being around people is still a very odd thing because we just had to develop like going to the supermarket was like a a huge deal, you know, and, and just kind of the thing that was kind of nuts was just constantly hearing in the background uh, uh, ambulances like around the clock kind of ambulances, ambulances up and down the street, ambulances here, you know, we're kind of a stone's throw from uh, Elmhurst Hospital, which, you know, the New York Times did uh, and a couple of uh, other media outlets did reports on, you know, with their kind of morgue trucks outside and how, you know, they just were completely overwhelmed there and everything. And um, it's it's an area actually that I know very well around there and, you know, absolutely devastating. And uh, I know who who passed away or, you know, know, a couple of people who were on respirators and stuff, but thank God made it. but uh, it was really kind of intense. And, you know, it's very odd now that when I go out just to see people sitting around with um, no masks on and, you know, kind of uh, sitting in front of because, I mean, it's like, you've learned nothing. <laughs> you want to walk I mean, over that, and smack them across the face. And say, yeah, it, it's, you know, it's it's that, um, you know, a lot of a lot of places, a lot of businesses are trying to kind of, you know, are desperately trying to hold on. So, you know, there are a lot of bars and stuff that are, you know, they're just open out the front and, you know, they have, you know, tables out the front and everything. And you can see some people are taking, you know, pains to do this and they're trying to kind of strike a balance between on the one hand kind of supporting community businesses and keeping people afloat and everything um, and, you know, not just buying everything through Amazon, right. you know, but, uh, you know, and yet at the same time, you know, you you know what happens when people have a couple of drinks and they start to get silly. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, so, yeah. I mean, it, it's weird is that just like it's not quite a year, but almost a year ago is when I uh, went to New York City and met up with you and we went to see right. the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood 70 millimeter. And, you know, right. look, fast forward a year, how different it is everywhere. Yes. Um, it's yes. that strange. And, you know, it is strange is that at the very beginning of the year, I caught a couple of movies in the theater, uh, mostly holdovers, you know, year end films that I wanted to. To, to see right like i saw the 1917 movie and i right. saw like jojo rabbit and uh, knives out you know things like that right and uh but i at the time could never imagine that those would be the last films that i was likely to see in the theater this year right i mean in my entire life i mean going back to like when i was probably six or seven years old this is the longest stretch of time that i've gone without seeing a movie in the theater 
I believe it. I, you know, even movies I really, really want to see, like Tenant. I'm actually, they keep pushing it. And I'm like, just push it to 2021 already because I do want to see that film in the theater. I don't want to see it just on, uh, you know, my TV. But that's, I'm, I've almost become, you know, resigned to seeing like everything on the TV for a long time. My, my daughter uh, was saying that what she really wanted, one of the things she wants to do when this is all done is go to the Museum of the Moving Image, which is right nearby us. Yeah. And because it's, it's just one of those things that we probably would have been a couple of times you know, during the time that we've been uh, locked up. Once every like year or two, they do a 70 millimeter film festival there. But right. But they have special screenings all year long. Yes. You know, of like 35 millimeter movies. And uh, yes. just having that like so close to you. I mean, for me, if I want to see something on film, I got to take a drive a few hours to Massachusetts and go when they're showing it like in Cambridge or Somerville. And now, you know, the longer this goes, the real question is, how long can these independent theaters stay afloat? Like the Museum of the Moving uh, Image will, will likely survive. Yes. But I do worry about that day that I find out someplace that means a lot to me. Like the Somerville Theater. Every time I went to one of those film festivals, the reasons why I made such great pains to drive there, see the 70 millimeter presentations, whatever it may be, is right. I felt that every single time I went there to see this, it could be the last time. Mm -hmm. And you don't know when that last time is coming most of the times. They had moved their 70 millimeter film festival to the spring. So we already missed that. And I was already looking forward to going there to see a few movies. Um, and now they've pushed it off to spring of 2021. But that's if they're still in business. Will their projectionist, the only guy there that knows how to do it, will he be around? I, I don't know right. these things. And it's, you know, I mean, there's so many levels to this pandemic that we can think about, break it down, worry about. There's the health aspect. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there's political aspect, all these things that are in our jobs and all that. And then yep. way down on the food chain is our little show here. But it's even impacted to the degree where this is a show about seeing stuff. <laughs> and right. who knew that I was going to be in a position all these months later that all I can talk about is stuff that I see on the small screen. You know, I'm a big fan of the show. And one of the things that I really, really, really love is like listening to you whenever you nerd out about like, you know, aspect ratios. And uh, not everybody <laughs> does. <laughs> by, by well, the way, but, uh, you know, it's for the nerds out there. Well, but that's, that's, that's one of my favorite things is like listening to that. And, you know, um, so, I mean, who knows, maybe Somerville becomes a CVS. Oh no, there's a CVS around the corner from it. So let's <laughs> well, have, you see, have a bigger CVS. <laughs> so it'll be a Walgreens. <laughs> it's funny. The reason with the aspect ratios, I think why that always meant something to me is that even though I was a huge film fan growing up and mm -hmm. I knew I wanted to be involved in film some way and go to film school and through right. my high school, I didn't understand aspect ratios. I only started to understand it in college because we obviously learned it Had in to. film school, but I still, you know what I mean? Like the evolution of me grasping and understanding. Uh, I have a very good understanding of aspect ratios now, obviously, because I've done a lot of research and things and I know what right. I like, but it, it is very confusing. A lot of people don't understand. Like I, I remember I worked at a movie theater. Uh, in high school yep. 
And I would go up occasionally to the projection booth. And since it was a multiplex, everything was on what was called a platter system. It wasn't those dual projectors. That's for independent theaters, right? Uh, but the platter system is that the films were loaded up and it was right. like flat. It wasn't like... It wasn't, it wasn't like running through like the high school projector, you know, yeah. kind of made large. Um, yeah, yeah. And the reason they could do this is that it had an automatic system of like rewinding as it was going and you didn't have to do as much uh, touching of the prints. And right. you could move these from platter to platter so they could like, you know, interlock it with certain screens so you could have two screens playing the same movie, um, yada, yada, yada. So occasionally <laughs> we'd have to go up and move prints because... It, like say a kids movie might they might do the seven o'clock show where they think that they were going to still get a lot of people in, they right. would have it in a bigger house. But then for the like second show where they still had to run it, they had to move it way down the other side. So you have to go down this long hallway and help the projectionist. And right. you'd see these tags on the film prints, and sometimes it would say you know whatever details they would say scope. I had right. no idea what scope meant. I thought it just meant. Oh, it's widescreen, which it does. But what I didn't understand is how the cinemascope process worked with um, a lens that squeezed the image into... The anamorphic. Yeah, right. the anamorphic would squeeze it into a frame. And the reason why they would tag it with scope is so another projectionist would go in there and if, it, if they move the print, they knew that they had to put the projections uh, anamorphic lens on it so it would unsqueeze the image onto the thing so you wouldn't get a weird, you know, stretched right. out image. But I didn't know any of that stuff. I just said, oh, this is a widescreen movie. But that was, you know, I mean, the thing that was um, great about film school and just studying film. And I, I, where I really started to see it was, um, I forget, there was, a, a, I think, a book uh, that I had about Lawrence of Arabia. And it just showed the size of, like, the... The, the film, the the Super 70 versus then the 35 millimeter and like a couple of different. And, and I, I remember also seeing different, like in another book, Gone with the Wind in different presentations yeah. and how it would be framed based upon like, so how it was shot. And then when they put Gone with the Wind, yes, they put it, they they kept re-releasing it back in um, uh, the 50s and, and stuff. And when, you know, that people wanted to see it in widescreen, what they would have to do to kind of adjust it and stuff. So, yeah, I... I, I would never want to see one of those presentations. They actually released Gone with the Wind in a 70 millimeter print. Mm -hmm. But instead of like, it was called pillar boxing, where you would want to get the most out of the frame so that you'd keep the aspect ratio, but it's blown up into a huge negative. Right. Instead, they conformed it. They blew up a portion of that image. Right. And so it would be a big widescreen where you were missing a huge chunk of the movie. Right. It was terrible. The 80s did that a lot too. And when we saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That was 235. That was 235. They kept the integrity. However, you're still on a much uh, larger negative. So it's very, very sharp. And I thought that just the chemical process of whatever whoever's doing those 70 millimeter prints, it gave it a more of a film look than even the 35 millimeter print that I saw at the Somerville mm -hmm. Theater of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which by the way, they were going to show the 70 millimeter print at the uh, film festival in Somerville and they were going to show it with uh, Hateful Eight and I was going to go see both because my, uh, my son has actually seen Hateful Eight and he loves that movie. They were saying. I've, yeah, I think it's yeah. one of uh, the Tarantino's uh, sort of, it's the movie that gets knocked the most. You, know, you always have that one film that people just decide they can pile it on but I, I really like that movie. So. Yeah, I, I think it's good. I, I you know, I... Uh, you scanned it. You watched it on the small I screen. Did. I did. You didn't see no big production of it. <laughs> Trust me, I've seen it now twice 
on the small screen, and then once I remember you saying you made a very big deal about see you you drove to Boston to go see. Yeah, it it's, it's it it doesn't even look. It, it's like a completely different experience than seventy millimeter. It's so amazing because that was shot in the ultra Panavision, which they've only like they'd only made like ten movies in the ultra Panavision. You know, it's so so wide that your eyes can't even almost watch the whole screen. Right. But you need a big screen in order to take that super long image and make it you know something that you can actually watch and see the details. So if you don't have one of those old theaters that has these huge monster screens, it's, forget you know, it. forget it. So anyways, hey, look, we've been on memory lane for 40 minutes. Yeah, I know. Sorry. No, sorry. Look, at, uh, I think it's good if we haven't put everybody to sleep. Um, you haven't put me to sleep, so that's great. No, but uh, we, we, we were leading up to some films where, okay, yes. on the positive, you get so starved to see movies that you'll see almost any crap. And believe me, I've seen a lot of films <laughs> and I've seen a lot of crap lately, but... Uh, what I like is some of the streaming services that I have have picked up some of these movies that were supposed to make it to the theater. Yep. And there's one that it doesn't really fit the theater box anymore, I think, because almost every movie today has to be like two and a half hours and has to be a big spectacle. And this mm-hmm. film knocked around in post-production for a really long time. I feel like maybe they cut a chunk out of it and just kept sort of the essential nuggets. I don't know. I think you're absolutely right. I, I know. I'm pretty sure I know what you're talking about. Well, I'm leading up to uh, this film that we both see watched, and it's on Apple Plus, which is weird because they don't have any movies that they offer for free. But well, I, I was going to say, and and that's where I hope you don't mind me jumping in just before you get to this. Go in terms ahead, of Apple Plus. Oh, there you go. Can I cut you off? Well, you're co-hosting, so you're allowed. One of the nicest things that anybody ever did to me in my life, did for me in my life, was that uh, you bought me tickets to go see the Beastie Boys. That was a birthday present. I talk about it all the time. Right. See, you know what? I'm glad you're saying this because there are times, I'm not a big concert guy. Yeah. And I missed a lot. Like, there's a lot of shows I think of like, who I could have seen if I was yes. really into music and I'm not, I kicked myself. But I got to tell you, how, could you ever like, when you go back in time and think about such an important event that you feel lucky to have been able to go to. Absolutely. That check your head tour. Yep. At the Roseland Ballroom or wherever. Roseland Ballroom. It yep, was 100%. insane. <laughs> it was amazing. It was absolutely it was my, amazing. probably my best concert moment because I do feel like, wow, I mean, you, you can't see them now. Nope. And they were at they were at their prime. Yes, and and they were there was it was a phenomenal show. It was you know really before they had broke big again, and um, uh, I just was so grateful to you kind of throughout the years thinking about that that present and stuff. And I just had to say thank you. And the reason I, I mentioned that, of course, just to come back to this, is because of the Beastie Boys movie on Apple TV, which was great, which which is absolutely great, and I absolutely loved it. My my daughters have turned out to be big Beastie Boy fans and it was actually they in, like insisted that like we watch so I, I got Apple TV which you know, just for that just for that I got it just for, I got the you know there was the free trial for uh, for a year and then pay $4.99 is, is what it was these streaming services right that's these movies do get people to sign up yes and so the thing is so I signed up solely because of that and it was absolutely great I really enjoyed it my only thing this is the I mean and I would just sort of say to you about this i've sat through a lot of powerpoint presentations yeah (laughs) and you have to admit i mean they're charming they're funny they're great you know yet at the same time it is kind of like a big powerpoint presentation that you're sort of sitting through and the thing that i i kind of found like and i'm not taking anything away from this i know this is almost kind of very childish of me because let's be honest you know 
how they have managed, uh, they've really grown. They've evolved as like, obviously as people and performers and stuff. They're, they're very kind of different from when, you know, they were doing their kind of obnoxious kind of beer and kind of frat persona. And they take that on, I think, you know, but at the same time, I, it felt though the way that they kind of shaved the edges off of all of that to kind of deal with it. I understand like they, that's what they have to do oh with God, everything, dude. but it did feel to me. Like, just like this was scripted by committee. Okay, how are we going to deal with like, you know, riding on the giant like wangs on stage well, they're and stuff? putting you on know? a performance show. And so, I, know, I mean, I, of yes, course, I mean, of so course, it's packaged of course, I get up. It. I got, so, I, on this note, I did get from my birthday, my 50th birthday, which, you know, there was no celebrations, there was no surprises, none of the things that even I would have planned for my 50th because Here of the go. pandemic. I did get from my wife, I got the Beastie Boys book. Yeah, my, okay. So my <laughs> wife got it for me for Christmas and my daughter stole it. I still haven't read it yet. I I haven't had a lot of time, you know, because it's yeah. only a pandemic. I have nothing better to do. But no, I yeah. haven't had a lot of time, to, but I've read some of it. Uh, and it's a lot of, yes. it's really, it's like almost like reading a graphic novel because there's like little insets and inserts and little articles yeah, here. And yeah, then you yeah. Your have favorite to, vegan like recipes Yeah, you got to piece yeah, it yeah. all together. But, um, yeah. you know, it's still the Adam Yock, I, I, I remember it was, it was very sad that, you know, he passed away. Yes. But he passed away a few days before my father did mm-hmm. so i remember you know just how long it's been because i remember it was like when my dad died right and you know it's kind of like when the music stops one thing i think that that special makes very clear is that adam yuck was really that driving force that creative yes. energy he just yes. was one of those people that that enthusiasm I, mean, I think that sometimes things have to work as a team but like like for yes. instance just like like podcast right mm-hmm I love doing it. I have fun. That's very obvious. I just a good time, and I and I love doing it with Teal. And you two, you two have the most amazing chemistry. So go ahead. Yeah, I hope he comes back soon. I mean, he's just taking a little break, but it'll, but he'll be back. But you know, I am probably the driving force that keeps this train going. There has to be one. Um, if you get two people that are driving for us, that's when I think you can, re- or three people, you can really make something happen. I think that's what the Beastie Boys, you had one person as that catalyst who just keeps driving the train, bringing people back even when they drop out a little bit. But yeah. the other two were very motivated as well. So the three people creatively just keep going. And I think even yeah. through my career cr- on a creative endeavor, I, I you know, I just never had like a, a unit of creative people that were all as energetic at times as yes. I was that said, let's all make something happen. Right. And so, you know, it's hard to do things like make a movie like you were talking about at the beginning. It's hard to keep that enthusiasm going. It's it's really, that's the biggest thing is, and that's where, you know, I mean, you really, even, you know, we think about people writing books, you know, novels and being, you know, kind of a, a writer for print that it's kind of, yes, it is in, in many ways a kind of very solitary pursuit. And yet at the same time, these things, you know, they really kind of don't, just happen in a vacuum. You know, right. there always are kind of, you know, you're getting feedback from people, you're getting support from people, you're getting, you know, uh, people editing and stuff. I mean, it's, you know, we really, I think, do too often think that like, you know, the artist is this kind of lone ranger kind of out there kind of on their own doing things. And and it, it does happen, but, you know, it's not always the case. Yeah, I mean, almost every artist 
they need somebody or they don't become anything other than their artist, you know? Um, I mean, yeah. even though you look at like Vincent Van Gogh, he had his brother always pushing for him. I mean, he was probably yep. a terrible art dealer because he couldn't get his work going, <laughs> even though it was amazing. But, uh, you know, he did have him to lean on and always support and stuff. It wasn't just him out doing it by himself. But but anyway, we were talking about Apple Plus. So we both saw yes. this film called uh, Greyhound by director Correct. Andrew Schneider uh, that Tom Hanks wrote and produced and starred in. Wait, did Tom Hanks write it? Yeah. He's got the screenplay credit on it anyway. Oh, Jesus. See, there you go. Well, okay. yeah, something, it's an interesting thing because it actually, you know, plays well on TV. I'll put it that way. But it was yes. supposed to be a big screen film, but it had been, I think it got its uh, distribution time moved up many times. Like it's going to be here. No, it's going to be there. No, it's going to be there. And it was like shot like a couple of years ago. And the director is a guy who started out as a film critic. And then he made this film several years ago called Get Low. It's got Bill Murray yeah, in it. Yeah, I never saw it. Yeah, it wasn't that great. Then he hadn't made him another movie since, and now he's made this film, Greyhound, um, which is like, you know, it's essentially, well, the, the finished film is really just kind of a linear, like 90 minutes, almost not real time, but like time is ticking off, and yep. it's mission A to mission you know D, and like what, what happens with a battleship that has to lead a convoy across uh, treacherous waters in World War II that are infested with uh, Nazi U-boats. Mm-hmm. And how do they? And how does that process work? And how do you? You know, how perilous was it? And what is the process of like submarine warfare kind of thing? And so that's basically the movie. There isn't anything much to it. There isn't a lot of character development. And actually, that's what I think makes the movie kind of successful is that yes. it didn't try to do the things that normally sink a movie like this. Where if it doesn't do that well, just cut it out. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? You know, the the thing that you kept saying to me before I watched it was that it is a tight 90 minutes. And it was. And, you know, I mean, uh, I'll be very honest with you. The stuff at the beginning with Elizabeth Shue, it was great to see Elizabeth Shue again. You know, I mean, it kind of did. It's kind of pro forma, like, okay, he's got a wife. He's got, you know, he's he's a human being. He's got a home, all of these things. And that's really all you need to know. My, my question to you is, was there more there and we just, and they cut it out to get things going or? I have. I have no doubt. I have no yeah, doubt. It, just, just, did it didn't stuff. feel like it's like a cameo scene. And I'll, I'll be honest, and, and it's probably tough because they probably cut her up back already a, t- a ton. So it felt like they said, well, we can't cut her out completely. But I think that right. it was probably unnecessary. But if you think about it, they only had 90 minutes. So, you know, it, they made it like 80 minutes in today's world because they were planning it for a the- uh, theatrical release. People would be like, an 80 minute Tom Hanks war movie? What? <laughs> But you see, I, I, that's where that's where I, I really thought it worked in the sense that it, it just focused on, I suppose you could say the the experience, uh, you know what it was like, you know, kind of a lot of the technical process of with the radar and the sonar and you know how you're kind of able to um, track the submarine and get them up with the depth charges and and really how you know it's it's sort of this game that you're kind of playing, you know, where you have okay, we only have a certain amount of fuel, we only have a certain amount of like depth charges, you know, there's this area that we have to cover before we are able to get air coverage. And that's it. Once they were able to get, you know, extended air coverage, they really kind of knocked the submarines, you know, the German U-boat out. You know, I I thought it was um, very good. I thought the performances were good. I got to be honest, I, I sort of, some war movies can kind of, you know, get a little too mom and apple pie for me. Yeah. And this didn't, this didn't do it. Like this didn't go the, the way that like a lot of these films can get kind of too treacly. They did have him, you know, kind of 
praying and stuff like that. And that's that's the kind of stuff where like, you know, my mom, you know, sees that kind of stuff. She's like, oh, I really like that because you never see praying in movies anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and see, that's the stuff I don't necessarily like. <laughs> but that's exactly what I mean. I think that's like the kind of thing that like it's almost kind of geared to that audience. But the irony is geared to an audience, I think, in some ways that can't get on Apple Plus. Yeah. Well, OK, so like my mom's <laughs> boyfriend, because this is the kind of movie that he would love. And of course, yes. they don't have any of this stuff. And he's like, where can I see it, though? I can't see it. He's like, Jasper, he he wanted to see it in the theater, right? That's how yes. it like, that's, up is that. That's the, that's the thing. But, you know, it's <laughs> no like, I mean, you know, we talk about how here's a story and they can only get out 90 minutes out of it, right? And yet you think of a, a masterpiece like Das Boot. And yes, I that's what I was thinking of the whole time. Like, the, okay, so there was the German miniseries of it. I haven't seen even that, but I've seen the four-hour version that they released in like the late '90s in theaters. Yes, just and I I've saw that version as well as the original two and a half-hour cut. Mm-hmm. And you think, oh, four hours? How am I going to sit there? That thing is so engrossing. Yes, and yet they're all in confined. You know, I mean, there's a beginning story right before they even get on the boat, but right with the journalist coming along yeah, and the party in France. But like, and I mean, stuff, they yeah. make that's where you know great storytelling, and we have lost that a little bit in today's movies. I, I mean, absolutely, and I think, quite frankly, the fact that it was ninety minutes and it was really just like, let's be honest, it was it was it was kind of an extended action sequence. Yeah, and I don't mind. Like, like no, I, said, I, I like that. I think that's, you know, almost kind of, I, I think that's, I say that to its credit. Yeah, for what it was, it was enjoyable. For Apple Plus, which I certainly am not planning on uh, subscribing after my free years up. No. Uh, well, unless they offer something in my wife, it's, it's on her. So she wants to renew it after the free thing is over. Whereas Disney Plus, we will probably. Oh, yeah. Now. We, you know, we could wrap up now if you'd like, or we could spend a little bit of time and then I have a few different subjects that I could uh, tease you with. I think I think we go forward just a little bit. Absolutely. I, I'm good for, I, I have uh, alternate side of the street parking is on today. So I'm Okay. So yes, yeah, so this is a New point. York problem um, <laughs> yes. where you've got to run out and get the car to the other side. Yeah. They, they just put, they just put it back on. These are several things that you can decide. This is Bill Picks. And the good news is we have so much content that we're not going to get to that that means you can come back again and guest host Thank you. Uh, and, and we'll talk about those and we have some of course some other stories in our back pocket of our our, our you know youth in uh, new york city together uh, there's definitely one story i've been waiting to tell but i'm not going to tell it today can i just I say one thing though quickly about though um greyhound you have more go, that you want to say about that i just yeah, I, do, I do i do i do i do i do <laughs> okay because it's one of these things that like i read where somebody referred to it as the ultimate dad movie yeah, I'm, I'm one of those dads now, I guess. <laughs> well, that's, you know, and so the thing is, I, I was watching with my wife and she was, you know, following it. But she was like, wait, what's the thing that's like, I, I, I don't know, you know, it's so funny because, you know, my dad is like a big military history buff. He's one of those. Well, he's an ex-Marine, correct? Yes. Yeah. And so this thing is kind of like made for him. Yeah. And he gets like really kind of pedantic about the stuff. I'm like, hey, did you see this movie? He's like, yeah, yeah, no, no, no. They had the wrong shoulder insignia. The movie's horseshit. Oh, for God's <laughs> sake. Yeah. But see, that's the funny thing. So that's the way my wife is with things that are medical. She can spot out the the tiniest flaw that like we would never notice. And she'd be like, that's ridiculous. Or this is silly. Sometimes, you know, that's why I can't watch any network TV. It's the worst. Um, Yeah, it's lowest common denominator stuff, man. But but my my dad, it's very funny, though, is that like why... It, it, it very much is this kind of movie that's about guys like, you know, oh, we're in the engineering and stuff. And I can see where it's the kind of movie my dad would love to watch because he'd then be able to explain and be like, well, you see, the reason <laughs> that they're doing this is because... <laughs> 
Jesus. So you get to feel very empowered watching this. So anyway, anyway, I'm sorry. That was the one. Oh, thing no, I no, no. To this is that. your time, Bill. Okay. All right. <laughs> and our listeners. No. <laughs> okay. Yes. So here's, we, I'm going to give you the choice. We can mm-hmm, talk mm-hmm, about mm-hmm. Mike Lee. Because I know you've seen okay. some films, or the next time you come on, which I'm I'm pre-scheduling you now, we could continue, and you may give you a chance to watch some more. Why don't we come back to okay. that then? Because I I actually have just watching a lot of the stuff. I have a lot more thoughts about Mike Lee and kind of the things that like you know it's just there are some very obvious themes that he keeps coming back. Yeah, to. and you know the more I've immersed myself in there, it's it's funny. I have a lot more things to think about with Mike Lee and, and some gripes. Oh, oh yes. Oh, some Jimmy Grace. Yeah, well, it was funny because when I started, after I watched uh, Another Year, I was kind of blown away by it. Me too. So I said, like, I got to watch some of these others that I never saw. The first one I watched was Career Girls. And I'm like, okay, well, that's- Career Girls, of, Career Girls is limp. I was it's like, that's classic. sort of Mike Lee Light. However, yeah. then I watched some of his other films and I'm like, wow, Career Girls is better than those. So <laughs> um, he w- seems like in his early career, he was working towards stuff that then he perfected yeah. with like Secrets and Lies. His, his, to me, is his masterpiece. And also Naked. I think, I think Naked. Naked. I like Secrets and Lies more, but Naked is a masterpiece. Yeah, I, I think Naked is incredible. And, you know, th- the stuff yeah. he did before that got him to Naked. A hundred percent. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, so anyways, we're going to talk about that, I guess, the next time. So there's something we already have on tap. And like I said, I'm going to finish that first movie that had Tim Roth in it. Uh, meantime. I already got, like, I got eight minutes in. I already was like, I was already picking up parts where I'm like, hmm, Tim Roth looks like he's looking for actory things to do in the background. I I love Tim Roth. <laughs> he's, he's pretty I, cool I to see him like, like 22 years old or whatever he was. Uh, it's fascinating. So I'm going to finish that. We will talk about Mike Lee the next time we get mm-hmm. on. All right. So then I have two really bad movies that I could mention. Okay. One, we just finished watching this weekend. It was on like Showtime or, or Epics or whatever. It was Terminator Dark Fate. Oh, crap. You know, I, I really was going to see that and I haven't seen it okay. yet. Okay. All right. Then I'm going to tell you what. We're going to, next time we're going to talk Mike Lee, if you can get to see Terminator, watch it because it's so. I will watch it because the thing is, my, my son and I went through watching all of the Terminator movies together. And so we were, we were like really excited to like see it in the theater. And I was very busy kind of during that time. And we just never got around to seeing it when it was out in the theater. But we were so hyped to see it. And like, so, and the fact now that you're telling me, I, I, I mean, I'm telling you right now i'm gonna enjoy watching it with them no matter what we enjoyed look we watch it in two nights because we just because we have my my oldest and by the time we could start it the first half was just your classic hey mindless junk whatever but then the second half of the movie is so bad <laughs> it's so ridiculous <laughs> it is so bad in so many of the ways that you it's like taking the worst of all those superhero actiony movie cgi extravaganzas and rolling it into one ball so i can't wait for you to watch it so we can talk about it Okay, so there okay. We're, 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 we're crafting the next show. So for okay. you out there listening, get ready for the great Mike Lee and the Mike really, Lee and Terminator, the terrible <laughs> Tim Miller uh, and Terminator Dark Fate. Okay, and then here's one that I could I could talk about with you if you want. This is the, my stroll through Amazon Prime. Occasionally, I come across a movie that, for whatever the reason, when I was growing up, I wanted to see and I never saw the film. And it was nominated for a few Oscars, which made me really want to see the movie, but I never saw the film. And I was too young to see it in the theater when it came out. And I think my parents saw it and said it was not a good movie. But I was like, yeah. And I think some of the reviews went from either like being old-fashioned and really liking it to those thinking this is an abysmal piece of crap. So I sat down and said, you know, sometimes you got to just sit through a bad movie that's so dated 
just to understand what was popular culture like back in 1981? Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. Directed by the great Glenn Jordan, <laughs> who we don't know is only when I laugh, Marsha Mason, <laughs> James Coco, Christy McNichol, written oh. by Neil Simon, Neil based Simon. on his play The Gingerbread Lady. Yeah, have yeah, you ever yeah. seen that movie? I have not. Okay. Is is it is a terrible I, movie. Well, I, I'm starting to think that, like, quite frankly, most movies with James Coco, that's usually the kiss of death. Well, it's some movies, I mean, Neil Simon's a guy who's ripe for a revisiting in that, was this guy ever good? I don't think so. I think that for the most of the time, he was terrible, and it's so schmaltzy, overwritten, and the dialogue comes off like a bad play. Is and this the one where she's an alcoholic? Yeah. And it's like her portrayal of an yeah, alcoholic is horrible. Yeah. It's this and, movie. And she's at a party and there's this one shot of a glass of wine. And it's sort of like she's standing around the periphery, but the frame is centered on the glass of wine. Oh, just getting ready for her to accidentally tip it <laughs> under her fro- friend, Joan Hackett. <laughs> this movie is so wrong in so many ways. I was fascinated. And I said, oh, you know what? Maybe Bill has uh, seen this film. I, You know, it's one of these things that, you know, I, I used to see bits because like Neil Simon was really like everywhere. Oh, yeah. It feels like the thing that would show up on HBO as a kid all the time. Max Duggan Returns. Well, I, now let's let's first of all, it's Max Dugan. Okay, I just want to correct Max, you. Oh, sorry. But, uh, but that was directed by Herbert Ross, who who seems to understand how to do Neil Simon better because he did the Goodbye Girl, California Suite, and California. So California? these are like the where the Neil Simon on the good side. Whereas, uh, and I love Max Dugan Returns as a kid. I don't know for some reason I saw that like a bunch of times because <laughs> it was on like every other like yeah. it was on and heavy I saw heavy in the rotation. theater with my friend Glenn. Oh, like I think I think about like how I would drag my friends to see these movies, but that. <laughs> was the time we lived in like it wasn't uncommon to go see max dugan returns and then next week go see lone wolf mcquade (laughs) a classic it was oh my friend glenn and i man when he drives that cracks that beer open and drives that uh the jeep out of the dirt is one of the greatest scenes of all time it is one of the greatest scenes in motion picture history is the beer a chorus I think so. Of course, he was accused of a Texas Ranger. That's how they got the idea for Walker, Texas Ranger. I even saw this movie a few years ago. It was on. I was like, I got to watch it. And I watched it with my son. And man, when that scene comes on, when he drives the Jeep truck out of the dirt, he loved it. (laughs) Because who couldn't love that? It's the greatest greatest scene of all time. See, that's I have this whole thing that Coors is this kind of like mystical movie beer from the 70s. Because, you know, it wasn't available on the East Coast. Oh, yeah, right. But you always, and that's the whole thing. And that's what uh, Smokey and the Bandit's all about. Of course. And then, of course, then you get old enough to taste it. And you're like, oh, my God. It's like, <laughs> the worst mountain piss ever. I'll never forget. I was like 17 years old. And, like, they first started selling in New York. I think they were making it in, like, Tennessee or something. So, of course, you know, uh, it was available. And uh, I was just like, oh, hmm, hmm, fine. <laughs> Well, I remember that it was my freshman year of college when I went to school at USC, there was a party in the first few weeks in my dorm. And for whatever reason, all that they had Coors Light, the silver bullet. The silver bullet. <laughs> and it was just the next- There's no slowing down with the silver bullet tonight. I had these two roommates were the worst. They were so sloppy. And so <laughs> I ended up picking up a lot. And I'm picking up after this party and I'm picking up these cans of 
Coors Silver Bullet. And somehow there were all these cigarette butts inside the Coors can. Oh. And the, and so there was still like, oh. there was still suds in there. And it was the yes. sound of the cigarette butts swishing around in there. It just, it, yes. it created such an image that never, ever, ever after that moment back in 1988 was I able to ever drink Coors Light again. And it's, it's also, there are certain beers that when, it gets down towards the bottom and it just gets a little bit like warm. It no longer is like icy, icy cold that it's just not drinking anymore. That's when you realize it's moose piss. So I, I used to hang out with somebody who um, really loved Natty Light Ice. So yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> if you're going to make a comparison, of course, like, it'd be like the Natty Ice. Natty, Natty Ice. And what he used to do, he'd crack one open and he'd take like one big sip and he'd put it down and he'd go through like a 12 pack like that. And, you know, whenever he'd leave the house, you'd find 12 three quarter empty Natty Light ice cans Ugh. like there. Ugh. Yeah, exactly. Sorry. So it just uh, it just made me think of that. So anyway, I don't know how we got from there to from Marsha Mason to there. But uh, <laughs> so, I mean, only when I laugh, what I found out is that it was actually a modest hit back mm-hmm. then but what was shocking is that marcia mason received an oscar nomination for her performance yes. james coco he is the only actor in history to receive not only a best supporting actor oscar nomination but he also mm-hmm. received a nomination for worst supporting actor from the razzies so he got an, right. an oscar nomination and a razzie the uh, the razzie might have been a little cruel but the oscar nomination was also cruel when I look back and kind of like remember like James Coco in movies, it was kind of, he, he was sort of like on TV all the time. He was sort of like somebody who was always on talk shows. Yeah, see, I never remembered like, any movie he was ever in, but I always remembered seeing him on stuff as a kid. Yeah, and he, he'd like appear in The Muppets or something. Maybe you know, that's was, where I remember him from, The Muppets. <laughs> yeah, he was always, always popping up someplace and just, you know, and I think commercials even and stuff. And, uh, but I don't remember anything that he did that I was like, oh, that's good. Yeah. You know, and, and Marsha, Marsha Mason and then Marsha Mason. So think about, so she does this. Okay. And then a couple of years later, she's doing Heartbreak Ridge with Clint Eastwood. She was terrible in that movie. I remember oh, I watching, it. I went to the movies when I had to see that. Cause you know, you want to see those big battle of Grenada movies. Uh, right. <laughs> and I remembered how horrible an actress Marsha Mason was in it. And I was like, oh, this is the person from Max Dugan Returns who I really liked, but she's terrible in this. That's right. That's right. Her and Mario von Peebles. It's the only time they've worked together. And she was terrible. <laughs> she was terrible, in my opinion, in this Only When I Laugh. Like, she was reading her performance. It's weird. It's a very unbalanced performance because there's one scene where she's actually rehearsing a play and she's mm-hmm. supposed to be very emotional. And she's really good in that scene. And so I think that's where they like why the Academy like nominated her because she she showed all these different facets of a very insecure character who always had to feel like she's on. But man, the jokes that have to come out of her mouth that were so written by Neil Simon are so horrible. No wonder she divorced. Weren't they getting divorced at the time, I think? Yeah. Right after like Max Dugan returns before it came out, she got divorced. That's right. Okay, so I don't know how much more time we have. We certainly don't have time for my new bit, Did She Deserve It? Which is... <laughs> Meryl Streep's been nominated 21 times by the Academy, and she's won three times. But did she deserve all those accolades? And I was planning on going through every nominated performance, taking a look, and having you decide, did she deserve it or not? 
I don't think I don't we like I don't think we have time for that. We don't we don't have time because the clock is ticking away from yes, me at um with alternate side. But, but I'm gonna kick us off with one anyway. <laughs> Nineteen seventy eight is her first nomination. She got nominated for the Deer Hunter, but she didn't win. Absolutely. She she, she deserved, deserved it. it. And she I think deserved to win because here's who she was up against. The winner was Maggie Smith for what we had just talked about, California Sweet. California Sweet. Yeah. Matt, I actually thought that's it's like I'm I'm not a huge fan of her performance in that. Right. You know she she's she's an actress who's nominated for an Academy Award, right? She's, yeah, I know. She's like yeah. a, a stage actress in California, and uh, I mean, and it's her husband is Michael Caine, and he's um, he's gay, and you know it, it's kind of it's okay, and you know she does her kind of Maggie Smith thing, uh, but. I, I really get the feeling it's almost like she was nominated for earlier stuff she was doing, but also it kind of felt like it was kind of who she was evolving into kind of later on, right. kind of the, the the Dowager Countess kind of role a little bit. But see, she wins <laughs> and Meryl Streep doesn't win for the Deer Hunter, which seems crazy because she's also up against Diane Cannon for Heaven Can Wait, which is a funny performance. Um, she's very funny. She's but I don't funny. know, if the, again, over over Meryl Streep for Deer, Deer Hunter? I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, Maureen Stapleton for Interiors. Nothing funny about that performance. <laughs> um, it was very, very uh, no. dramatic movie. No, but it was the, very grim. Yeah, good movie though. Um, oh, and, yeah. and then I don't even know who this actress is. I was shocked. I'm writing this up and I'm like, what? Penelope Milford for Coming Home. What? Who? Do you know her? I'm I'm trying to. It's the only movie she's ever nominated her. for. I don't know who she is. Yeah, I. You know, you're gonna send me to my phone. That's well, no, no, no. <laughs> you can go afterwards because we will be pick, picking up this bit again. Um, so I think in 1978, not only did Meryl Streep deserve to be nominated, she deserved to win. I, you know, what? this is a great bit, and I would say without a doubt, she like she was robbed uh, at this point. That's okay, because because in later years she's gonna rob others. Yeah, well, because I, I got to say, wasn't then she nominated the very next year for Manhattan? Oh, okay. We're going to end on that, is that she was not, but she won Best Supporting Actress for Kramer versus Kramer. Kramer versus Kramer. Yes. Right. And her competition was Jane Alexander, also for Kramer versus Kramer. Right. Barbara Barry, Breaking Away, kind of a personal favorite. I really Barbara, yeah, me too. Movie. Me too. Candace Bergen, starting over. And the very young Mariel Hemingway for Manhattan. Manhattan. <laughs> so I would say that clearly, like, she was the runaway favorite to win for Kramer versus Kramer, and it was deserved. But I think she could have won back to back supporting actresses. Yeah, I would agree. Yep. I would absolutely Like agree. I said, it starts to go downhill, but maybe somewhere around uh, nomination 11, but. Uh, <laughs> But that'll be for another time. Okay, so there, okay. we got through a whole bunch of stuff. Um, and I am so thankful for you, Bill, to be able to have made this time to come Jimmy, in thank and- you. Uh, Thank you. Get get a show in, because it's been a few weeks, you know? Um, it has. I didn't think it was going to be that long. And so I, I've been seeing a ton of stuff, and I wanted to be able to have a, an episode. And uh, I don't think Teal's going to be available, at least for maybe not for the summer. But like I said, next week he could be back. I don't know. Okay. Well, I look forward to his return. Yes. But until he returns, I look forward to your return, where we're going to talk about Mike Lee, Terminator Dark Feet, Feet, <laughs> Terminator Dark Feet, because Dark feet. he had the COVID toes. <laughs> And that's what ultimately does in the Terminator. Sorry, I, I, I blew it. Uh, no, tar- Terminator Dark Fate, uh, which I think is going to be the darkest fate for director Tim Miller, because this guy, uh, I don't know. So we're going to talk about those things, and maybe we'll do some more Streep, Did She Deserve It? 
Okay. That sounds great, Jimmy. All right. So uh, take care. Thank you very much. Been a pleasure. And uh, talk soon. All right. Go move that car and then uh, go deal yes, with those screaming absolutely. kids that you have in the background. <laughs> absolutely. Thank you, Jimmy. Talk to you later. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.